0: Welcome to the Project Update podcast. I'm Joe Simpson
1: and I'm Dave Ramsey. How's it going, Dave? Doing pretty good, Joe. How you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty good. This is episode 1 of our new podcast called Project Update and we've been I don't know, we've been noodling on this idea for the last couple of months and we're finally getting started. Um So I guess let's take a couple minutes up front to talk about who we are and what this show is and provide a little bit of context, and then we can dive straight into the MacGuffin of the show. Um, (laughs) How about you? Who are you?
1: Uh, Hi, I'm Dave Ramsey. Uh, I am a desktop software developer, uh, a board game designer, um, and a general tech enthusiast yeah yeah
0: and i am a kind of solo software developer kind of right now working on ios development um i technically mostly make a living doing filemaker development and occasionally make some websites and i have a mildly unhealthy obsession with virtual reality which is, if you've listened to any of our previous shows, it's all on record. Um, This is not a VR podcast yet, but don't be surprised if it turns into one from time to time. So this show kind of came about, um, basically, it's just a, a way for Dave and I to talk about what we're doing. We both work on our own, for the most part, and software development can be tricky, and sometimes it's good to talk through problems with other people. So Dave and I have calls on a fairly regular basis to talk about that type of stuff and just kind of uh, get input from one another on what we're working on, as well as just share what we're excited about in terms of developments and resources and stuff like that. Uh, I think I benefit from that relationship a bit more than Dave does, because <laughs> Dave is a a bit more experienced with most of the stuff and has a, a a less impulsive aspect to him when it comes to jumping from project to project. One of the projects on my Someday Maybe list is actually to make a virtual reality project graveyard for all the stuff I've abandoned, So that tells you the scale of the problem I face. So yeah, we are starting this show. This this podcast will basically be a a place where we can check in every week, talk about what we're working on, uh, the problems we're facing, the design challenges that we're working on, as well as getting into the nitty-gritty technical aspect from time to time. Um, You know, Dave is working right now in a very bizarre environment for making a cross-platform app and... I'm working in iOS 13 and the betas and everything is pretty rocky. So definitely a lot of technical stuff. But we also will probably from time to time talk about the business aspect of what we're doing and how we run our businesses and how we make money and if we make money and how projects are doing. Um, As well as I don't know how much we'll talk about marketing because I don't know that either of us know much of anything about marketing, but that'll have to be a part of what I'm doing eventually. So, and then I guess the, the other thing we want to do with the show is, um, occasionally have other people on to talk to other developers or creators, people who are making stuff and, uh, kind of get an update from them. So the, I guess the main format of the show, not to the extent that we have one is basically just, uh, you know, giving an update about what we're working on and, uh, Talk about it from there. So why don't we start with you, Dave? What are you, what are you working on?
1: Well, the current project is um, a tool for diffing large chunks of a particular format of XML. Um, so FileMaker Pro developers have now have access to a new XML format that basically um serial is that serializing or deserializing Mm, serializing yeah serializing all of the information about a particular system the fields the tables the scripts the access privileges the layouts and all the reports and things like that dumps it all to a huge xml file and um I want to be able to compare those and tell people in the last two hours or 10 days what changed. And it turns out that diffing XML has some really nasty, complicated problems in it. Um, it, On one level, you're talking about diffing a text file. And that's a relatively well-established space. We don't often do it with one, two, three hundred megabyte text files, (laughs) but it's a relatively well-established problem with standard solutions to the issue. And so throw enough RAM at the problem or enough processor performance and you can find the differences between these text files. Where things fall apart is that XML is extremely hierarchical. So just telling me that this line changed doesn't tell me where that is in the overall project. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and so this diffing tool needs to have a lot of awareness of context. Where are these changes occurring? Your standard diff tool would say, show me three or four lines on either side of the change so that I can get my sense of context. In XML, I might need to look back two or three hundred lines to see what layout this object is on so that I know where the change occurred. Fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so in the process of doing that, I ended up kind of putting together my own version of Electron. Uh, For those who are unfamiliar, Electron is a JavaScript library and tool set that allows you to build cross-platform web view-based apps in JavaScript.
0: It's very beloved in the Apple community right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole other issue. Um, And Electron's really neat. Uh, It does a lot of cool stuff but I couldn't get the performance out of it that I wanted. And so I ended up putting together a my own set of tools so that I could write JavaScript for the interface and it would work on Mac and Windows and then C-sharp on Mac and Windows for the back end. So I get the multi-threaded performance and shared memory elements of C-sharp with the visual flexibility and dynamicness of JavaScript, HTML, and CSS on the front end without actually using Electron itself.
0: Yeah. I think it's worth mentioning that you, you're you making a cross-platform app more or less because you have to. Your, your audience is definitely split. Your audience of developers is split across Mac and Windows. And mm-hmm. you've got an existing product that you had taken the other approach which was making a totally native mac app and then making a totally native windows app and those are both great but it's proven to be a lot of work to keep them in sync and up to date and you're trying to from what i understand trying to find a way to not repeat that mistake in the future with this app and maybe even a rewrite of the other one someday
1: yes And one of the things that people don't like about Electron, particularly on the Mac side, one is the RAM requirements, but the other is just the fact that it uses non-standard GUI elements. Mm. And the really cool part about that is that my target audience is FileMaker developers who are used to using non-standard GUI elements. That's all we use, yeah. Yeah. Which is fantastic then. So... I don't really have to worry about that side. The RAM requirements are well we'll we'll get into that at some point. Um But yeah, the project is going relatively well. The biggest difficulty is the FileMaker Developer Conference is about a month from now. Oh fun. Maybe a month and a week. And I would really, really like to get a beta out the door. Um, at least in time for that. Right and so that's
0: do you mean just something to take with you or something that, you, that people can actually
1: download? Uh, I'd like to be able to release the beta at DevCon. Oh, cool. Um, it will not be the full version. But I found a couple of places where I can cut a corner or two. Um, not in the sense of there are features that I don't have to add if it's just going to be beta. Hmm. Um, Things like uh, the entire registration engine. Yeah. Um, What I'm actually going to do is I'm going to say users who already have my existing software, which is called FM Perception, will be able to download the new software and use it because this software will just check to see if you're a registered FM Perception user. If you are, then you can use this one as well and just keep going. At some point later, they can be separately licensed, but... Uh, initially I'll just, everybody who's an FM perception user can beta test the new software. Nice. Uh, yeah. So all of those are in and of themselves, bottomless topics. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to stop there and hand it over to you, Joe. What are you working on?
0: So I am working on an iOS app. Um, that I'm not gonna go into too much detail yet because it's still very much in flux. I have a good idea what I wanna make and rather than just state categorically what it is, I wanna develop on it all summer and kind of let the podcast figure out what it is along the way. Um, So I'll probably be talking a lot about specific features and specific development topics without actually talking about the product until um, maybe until the point where I can do a test flight and actually have people start testing it. Uh, But it is a relatively simple app. It does have, it's basically a data-driven app that I plan on using core data and CloudKit, especially the new CloudKit integration with core data. Um, So I don't have to have any kind of server architecture. So it is about storing data long-term and making sure that data is on all of your devices, or at least all of your iOS devices. I don't have any plans for a Mac version yet. Um, And... So I've been noodling on this for the better part of a month and right after WWDC I played around with Swift UI quite a bit and I thought I guess before WWDC I had already started to work on a prototype of this and I've got a fairly decent working copy in just UI kit with a lot of uh custom styling on the views and it's sloppy but it's functional And it's a good starting point. And then I started playing with SwiftUI to see if I could recreate the same thing there. And I ran into, not issues, but some possible warnings from some Apple developers of like uh, core data may not be, or using SwiftUI with core data with a fetch result controller may not be the most ideal thing right now. Um, They kind of, there was a developer on Twitter who basically said, if you have, large sets of data you may want to continue using collection views or table views rather than using swift ui lists and data sources so the tentative plan for the app is to build a ui kit app and when possible sprinkle in some swift ui so there are things that are just way faster and cleaner in swift ui but it's still pretty early in swift ui which is i guess swift ui is a compositional framework that um it's kind of an alternative to UIKit and AppKit that you can make apps for all platforms. It's not a cross-platform development framework. It is a framework where you can make apps for all of Apple's platforms, which is not in the least bit confusing <laughs> for anybody. And uh, it's definitely a totally different way of working. Uh, I'm not a UIKit expert, but UIKit is figure-outable in a way that SwiftUI isn't because it's it's old by now. It's 10 years old and there are lots and lots and lots of resources online. So it's never taken me more than five minutes to figure out how to do something in the UI kit because everybody else has already figured out everything that I want to do. Right. And that's not the case with Swift UI. Um so it's- for the time being, I'm not even going to dive into code this week at all, mainly because I'm working on some consulting stuff and we'll get into that. But I'm gonna keep prototyping out a full version of the app in FileMaker. And I've done that previously with some very basic examples, but I've refined the design over the past couple weeks. And I want to build out a fully functional version in FileMaker Go and keep it on my phone and use it every day and have it be the thing that I, I use to kind of drive the development and design direction of the app forward. And eventually at some point, I'll be able to export the data out of that and into the iOS version. But there is, Really something to be said about I can make the full version of the app in FileMaker in two or three days as opposed to two or three months of work in UIKit. And I think I really need to do that first to make sure that I'm figuring out all of the weird design edge cases and the navigation flow and just how the app uh, looks and behaves and stuff like that. And FileMaker is not a one-to-one map for everything you can do in UIKit but I have a pretty good imagination I can do kind of placeholder uh, UI elements when possible and just kind of, you know, like a good example is uh, FileMaker doesn't have any kind of swipe on a table row to show table row actions. That just doesn't exist, but I can fake that with a hidden button and tap on a specific portion of the cell Mm -hmm. and uh, open a popover or something like that.
1: Or have you seen the stuff that people have done with using sliders?
0: Yeah, but that doesn't really work in a list view. Like they all slide.
1: Oh, okay. You put a, I haven't like, played with that.
0: Yeah, if you put a slide over a slide panel in a list view and you swipe them, they all slide. So that oh is chaotic. That sounds
1: helpful. <laughs> yeah,
0: not in the least. Um. So yeah, that's the plan for this week. Is really just to dive in, um, into the FileMaker version and. Prototype and prototype and prototype and work on the design. One thing I want to do with the app version is for the, the app is kind of divided up into two main features. One is basically data entry and data management, and the other is a more visual interface. And that first half, the data-driven side, I want to make basically as stock as possible. Like It'll definitely have a couple of articles of flair, but mm-hmm. for the most part, I'm going to make it look like an iOS app that can respond to dark mode and light mode and dynamic text and that type of stuff. Like I want it to be accessible and, and support all of those types of features. So it's not going to be the most beautiful thing in the world. It'll still look good, um, but it's not going to be like a total custom design. The other side will be much more flashy. And that's the part that I don't, I honestly don't know if I even have, started that by the end of the summer let alone have it ready for ios 13 in the fall Um, but for the time being i'm really focused on getting the data right and then we'll work on the visual stuff later so yeah that's the project i'm working on i guess i am working on several other projects as well because i'm still making my living as a consultant Um, so i do filemaker consulting and the occasional bit of web development uh, not necessarily on its own. I typically only do web development for my existing customers just because it's a nice thing to do and mm-hmm. can save people some time and money from working with somebody else. Um, and uh, yeah, I've just been plugging away. It, it's kind of weird. I got all excited about Swift UI and learned a ton of stuff, watched a bunch of WWDC videos, and then spent the better part of the last two weeks working in WordPress. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's like, well, that, that's the thing, I guess. <laughs> um, I'm just about to reach about 40 or 60 lines of code short of reaching this magical point in, that, that I've identified from some of these projects that I've worked on <laughs> that um, you get to the point where the, the software that you're writing can help you write the software. And what I mean by that is, like, when I'm looking at these huge chunks of XML, it can be difficult. Like, working with a 150 megabyte chunk of XML is tough. Working with 250 megabyte chunks of XML and comparing them is even worse. And so trying to do kind of side-by-side, making sure that everything's flagging the way it's supposed to is surprisingly complicated. But the thing is, I've been writing this diff engine, and now I've got just a little bit more on the display side, and then I'll be able to say, okay, it says these two things are similar. Let's look at them and go, no, these two chunks of XML, nicely displayed side by side, are actually different, and here's how they're different, and now I need to look at that. Or alternately, it says these two things aren't the same thing, that this field is not linking up with the same field in the same table with the same name on the other side. Why not? And so I can use the software to say, "Well, select both of those and see the two values side by side. And so I, I'm so close to my rate of improvement being able to go through the roof. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Which will be fantastic. Just a little more display code.
0: Your favorite kind.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely my favorite part. Um, particularly since... Well, JavaScript, HTML, and CSS are not new to me. I've already written more JavaScript, HTML, and CSS for this project than for every other project in the rest of my life combined. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, it's just a lot. So, yeah, a little exciting there. Um. And I bumped into a weird, I don't know if I call it stumbling block. Let's call it a change of complexity. <laughs> um, That's a nice bit of spin. <laughs> I was working in Visual Studio for Mac, which is where I'm writing most of the Mac C-sharp code. And I noticed that the updater wanted to install a... Um, Um, Oh, gosh. What do they call it? It's the Xamarin Profiler. Hmm. So, Xamarin has a command line tool for testing performance and seeing what portions of your code are consuming more time than others. But it's command line and basically just dumps this huge report out to text. And That's what Visual Studio was installing was a GUI for running that thing and then looking at the results. And I was like, yes, because one of the things I've been missing the most about working in Visual Studio rather than working in Xcode is not having instruments. Mm -hmm. Instruments being Apple's uh, performance analysis and um, memory leak software. Um, Really powerful, really flexible, pretty darn nice UI
0: it It means absolutely nothing to me <laughs> every time I see it on a slide or somebody talk mm-hmm. about it. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. I really should spend some time with it. um It will
1: help once you've found something that's slow. Mm-hmm. It's really good at helping you identify exactly what in the slow thing is causing the problem, so you do that and then sit down and watch one of the w w. d c sessions on instruments. And really see how it's just going to go. Nope, right here. This is the thing. This this little loop right here. Yeah, that's the thing that's killing you. Right right there. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, okay, let me fix that. And then you run it again and you can see, well, it fixed by a little bit. Or it fixed that one, great. But now all my slow stuff is in another section of code. Completely different area. <clears throat> and unlike what we're used to doing when we bump into a similar problem in FileMaker, you don't have to make any changes to your project You don't have to write a single line of code to make all of this work. During the compilation process, Xcode will insert the appropriate timing elements itself. Hmm. And so you just say, run. And it eats, I don't know, 10 to 30% of your performance. But when you're done, you know where the problems are. And then you don't have to go back and remove the code. That you don't need you're not putting in conditional compilation steps so you're not adding a bunch of garbage to your code or something like that yeah Um, so really slick And i said hey i want to know about this xamarin profiler so i dug in and was reading through the documentation and then up near the top of the page it said this actually isn't included in visual studio Mm. Uh, let me see if i can find the text xamarin profiler is it one of those
0: not in the community edition features
1: Uh uh-huh you will need to be a visual studio enterprise customer to unlock this feature in either visual studio enterprise on windows or visual studio for mac on a mac So I'm like, okay, well, let's click some links and chase this down and see what it actually involves, what's what's involved in becoming a Visual Studio Enterprise customer. Now, so far, I've been able to do everything that I ever want to do in Visual Studio community. I do my version control outside of Visual Studio anyway. No, No big problems. I've never needed anything that was in Visual Studio Enterprise. So this, as far as I'm concerned, is one single feature that I want what will this feature cost me? And the answer is $3,000 a year. (laughs) Nice. Okay. Or worse. So you can get it for $250 a month. Mm. And it's got a bunch of other features and there's Azure credit thrown in. And as far as I can tell, it even includes um, like Microsoft office. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) Um, there's there's all sorts of stuff that's included in this, but um. I don't I don't really need all of that stuff at least not right now. I mean I could probably dig through there and find things that I'd want to use, but two hundred and fifty dollars a month
0: or. Dave, oh, go ahead. Dave, you you make developer tools. Are you about to tell me that you're going to make the profiler
1: for <laughs> Visual Studio for Mac? I've considered it a couple of times.
0: I know you. Oh man. <laughs>
1: Um, cause, one project at a time cause apparently it shouldn't a, be
0: me telling you that because
1: apparently there's a market for it and if I can make it cost less than $3,000 a year maybe some people will be interested Yeah. Um. so yeah you, know, you have the option instead of going with a monthly subscription you can go with what they call a standard subscription and it's still like a yearly thing so you're still subscribing, but you kind of buy it by year. And so the first year is $6,000. But every year thereafter is only twenty five sixty nine. So as long as you're going to be a Visual Studio Enterprise developer for eight years, you can save a couple of bucks by going that way. And I... I've been loving working in this Microsoft environment. I've got, you know, my JavaScript stuff is all being written in Visual Studio code. And I'm using, on Mac and Windows, I'm using Visual Studio on Mac and Windows for my backend code. And it's all just kind of working and the tools are pretty good. And it all seems kind of included. And then I bump into this stumbling block. And, yeah. and I, I kind of feel like Microsoft has broken faith with me. Um I three thousand dollars a year, Joe. Yeah, um, that's not
0: that's not nothing.
1: That's I, I haven't seen developer tools cost that much since uh you know, the bad old days when um uh, MetroWorks Code Warrior was eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars a year.
0: Yeah. Or like design stuff still costs like that, like things like Maya mm-hmm. and uh, cinema 4D and stuff like that is still there's still several thousand dollars a year for the full versions, yeah. But they also have Blender as an available alternative, yeah. So,
1: well, I, I can learn how to use the command line version and look at the report that's output, and maybe it'll give me the data that I need. Um, I haven't gone back and dug into that because right now I'm having pretty good luck on the performance side,
0: yeah. Um, I wonder if there's another. Uh, third-party IDE you could use with C-sharp. There was one that Unity was promoting in their store for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it, how useful it is outside of Unity development, but if it works with C-sharp, it may be something worth checking into.
1: Yeah, and I, I haven't dug in that far. Again, because I haven't been having performance problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to go through and throw something on the optimizer and start optimizing code that's performing pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, once or twice I bumped into a small problem, but it was relatively easy to go. No, no, no. I just added this button. I pressed this button. It's only running 30 lines of code. There's the problem. I didn't need a test bench to tell me where things were going wrong. Um, yeah. So that was a little funky that I don't know about taking wind out of my sails, but it definitely, definitely felt weird. It was like, oh, oh, there's the Microsoft part. <laughs> oh, there it is. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of three thousand dollars, how's that for a segue? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I know where this is going. I got a new
0: iMac recently. Yeah. So I- I've been working on a MacBook Pro for the last couple of years, and uh, just, it's fine, but it had some limitations. Like the keyboard on it is terrible, has, has been pretty well established by everybody with a MacBook Pro by now. Um, I mostly use it in clamshell mode when I'm developing, and it's got all kinds of inconsistencies of like not waking up when you use a keyboard or mouse or it'll wake up but the it won't wake up the display correctly just tons of issues with this generation of laptops and it's i don't know just kind of made me turn my back on laptops and get back to just sitting at a desk all the time so i got one of the 2019 iMacs that came out a couple months ago and it actually wasn't too expensive. I think it was around $2,500. And I got it pretty well loaded up. Got the uh, i9 processor and the minimal amount of RAM and bought some third-party RAM on my own. And a half a terabyte SSD, cause I don't really need more than that. I can plug in externals if I need it. And uh, other than that, it's just a pretty simple 5K iMac and very, very fast, very quiet. I have only heard the fans come on once and that was when I was installing FileMaker server. I'm not sure what why that was so intense, <laughs> but it was just installing it. And uh you know, the fans were on for maybe 10 seconds, and that was about it. And uh Xcode build times for the UI kit version of the app that I've been playing with went from about eight seconds to about one second, just from the laptop to the iMac, mm-hmm. which is that's a pretty big day, pretty big difference. Um, Other than that, I haven't thrown much at it yet. So I guess editing the show later on will be interesting. Um, Maybe play with some video down the road or fire up Unreal Engine or Unity and see how it does with those. But for the most part, it's it's basically just been a development machine and keeping it fairly simple for now. Um, It's not running any betas it's like the anchor of stability in my life where everything else is running beta software Mm -hmm. so it's just running mojave and i've got the developer betas of ios on my phone and ipad which are still fairly buggy but getting better all the time yeah it's a nice machine it's the the only downside to this the only thing i was worried about getting into it is i've got some rsi issues basically with both hands although the last couple months my left hand has been getting better and better Um, but using a mouse or trackpad or trackball with my right hand just hurts all the time doesn't seem to matter what I use and I was using a laptop because that was the thing that didn't hurt and eventually that started hurting just as much if not worse than using the trackpad on my desk or using a mouse next to the keyboard so I figured... The only reason I had justified keeping the other thing around was because it was slightly ergonomically better in some situations. If I, if that's no longer the case, it's just not worth sticking around. So I've been uh using a nice Logitech keyboard, and I've got a Magic Trackpad next to it, and I've got a couple uh, I've got like an ergonomic mouse and an ergonomic trackball, and I kind of switch between those three devices throughout the day. I'm kind of better at certain things with different ones, and uh, yeah, it's other than that, it's kind of a nice, boring computer. Like it's just always on; it's running FileMaker Server for me, so I can use it as a developer server. Um, Can host some stuff internally, do some automation. Uh, It's I don't know; it's pretty nice. the The thing I didn't like for those couple of years of using a laptop is there was always a slight barrier to just jumping in my office and doing something particularly after work or before work. And especially with all the clamshell and display issues, it was like sometimes it would be sitting down from my desk. It would be almost two or three minutes before anything was on screen working. Mm -hmm. like As opposed to the iMac, I just hit the space bar and it wakes up and logged in with the Apple watch and I'm doing what I need to do so yeah it's definitely a more stable and boring computer which is probably what I need right now people a lot of the reviews I watched about this people were really ripping into Apple about the bezels and they are big chunky bezels but I don't see them and I guess the only thing the only time they would matter is if you're using multiple displays but I'm not so I don't really even notice them because I'm looking at the screen not the edges of the screen but yeah it is that same traditional iMac design that has been around for quite a while now
1: I'm using a 5k iMac and I do have a secondary display and I still don't see the bezels unless I really look for them Yeah, it's I mean yes now that you mention it there are some big chunky bezels here but they're really big bright screens it's my eyes just pass right over the oh gosh inch and a half once you do both bezels
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um because the display that I've got is an Apple 27-inch Cinema display, so it's basically the well, it's the non-Retina version of the 5K IMAX mm. screen and body, basically. Um, so yeah, great. Now I got to look at bezels. Jerk.
0: <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, it's a it's a nice machine. It definitely seems like Xcode is designed with the 27-inch iMac in mind. Like it just seems, everything looks right when you full screen Xcode or Mm -hmm. or make the window the size of the screen. Um, As opposed to the laptop, you're constantly like moving stuff to the side and closing inspectors, opening inspectors, closing navigators, opening navigators. With 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 this screen, you can just leave everything there all the time. And I was actually thinking about not just Xcode, but other areas, because the screen is so big, I'm just doing less fidgeting or moving around finding stuff because I can mm-hmm. keep so much more on screen, which sounds like a no-brainer, but I'm going from a 20, uh, 24-inch 4K display to a 27-inch 5K display. It's not a huge jump, but I'm spending less time using a mouse as a result of that because I don't everything is just visual visible the whole time as opposed to yeah. alt-tabbing between things and windowing and dragging and stuff like that. It's just keeping things on. So the yeah, one thing I, I'm i eager to play with is Catalina, when it finally becomes stable this fall, they have a uh, an accessibility feature called Full Keyboard Support. And it basically, basically allows you to use almost everything on your Mac. They claim everything on your Mac without using a pointing device. And I played around with it on the laptop with the Catalina beta. And it's pretty good. It's... I mean, it's adequate it's a lot of hitting the tab key and I mean a lot like some things that are a one-second gesture on a trackpad or a mouse are 40 or 50 key presses of the tab button so it's like yeah this is different the areas where I couldn't figure out how to get it to work were in in programs like Xcode where you've got one application window but lots of little panels. So I'm in the navigator and I'm tabbing through that. How do I tab into the source editor? How do I tab into the inspector? Like I couldn't find any clear way of like getting me out of these sub windows into other windows. And the one place I can do that stuff, even with the current version of Mac OS is FileMaker. You can pretty much do anything in FileMaker without a mouse. It's It takes some doing, but it's possible in a way that a lot of other software isn't, which is, Kind of funny because I'm always on a, like a campaign to stop doing filemaker development. I'm like, hey, this this <laughs> is actually easier than a lot of what I'm doing. <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking forward to Swift UI everything eventually, where I can just type code and not have to deal with interface builder or multiple inspectors or any of that stuff. Just just type code. Because I can type all day. It's just pointing devices that suck.
1: Yeah. Now the 27 inch iMac is really nice to work with in Xcode because you can have a full left side navigator, full right side inspector and two side by side pages of code Mm -hmm. or a page of code and a UI um, editor. Mm, Yeah. And just have plenty of room for doing that. You set the page up and then you're done. You just work. Um, for, For my money it's a fantastic value. Yeah, for sure.
0: It's also, I was really reluctant to to do this because I'm still a consultant and still once or twice a year, I actually have to leave my home office and go outside and go to another office where other people work. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. And I was trying to think through the last couple of times that's happened and I was, always doing, I, was, I was always going to those places to have meetings about development or server deployments, but rarely doing anything that I couldn't do with just my iPad. So I decided to get rid of the, the laptop and just stick to the iPad Pro for those types of meetings. And if development is needed, then I can remote into the iMac at home or jump on somebody's computer at the office. Um, but I've never been the type of person who just goes somewhere else and does development for a day Mm -hmm. people have asked me to do that and like that's that's not on the table for services (laughs) that i offer i had an offer recently of like hey come take this job you can work remotely but you have to come to our office uh every six weeks i'm like that's completely It's never going to work for me i'm never ever going to do that i don't care how much money you have like oh oh, okay
1: Uh, now i i think joe may have left our listeners with the mistaken impression that Joe never leaves his house at all, <laughs> and that's not the case. Joe probably leaves his house more often than I do. Um, just in, I live in a very small bubble. Yeah, yeah. Well, how many how many walks a day do you take? Usually, just
0: two. Yeah, but it's around eight miles a day of walking.
1: Yeah, yeah. Joe's Joe's out and around. Yeah. He just doesn't want to go to client sites.
0: Yeah, I do my best work kind of at home in my office without, like, I don't, I don't, I don't take on customers who need phone access. Like if when I'm onboarding a new customer or talking with someone for the first time, if there's someone who, who thinks that they should be allowed to just call me anytime to talk about stuff, they're, they're not a good fit for working with me. I tend to work with very deliberative people who will write an email or a message thoroughly fleshed out for what their issue is and send it to me. And then if we need to schedule a call or a meeting, we can do that. But I don't play help desk. I'm just not suited for that type of work. Mm -hmm. It's not because I'm bad at that type of work, but the type of development I do, I need to be able to get into a mind frame where I can focus for hours at a time. And that's something that I'm really good at is focusing for hours at a time. But... As soon as the phone rings, I'm not focused anymore. And it takes a while to get back into that frame, the frame of mind. So it's just, I know, you got to pick your battles and I'm really good at this one thing that people want that one thing from me. They have to kind of deal with the compromises of I'm not your, uh, your go-to help desk support person.
1: So talking about, uh, hardware limitations on development, yeah, I got to spend a fair amount of time in the about a month ago on a plane. Mm. And I'm not yet one of those people who will make plane ticket purchase decisions based upon access to power lines and in-flight Wi-Fi. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, I almost go the opposite direction and I really like the plane to not have Wi-Fi. So I can be offline and get Mm -hmm. some work done. But with this new project that I'm working on, I was bumping into a problem where I'm working in effectively four different languages. JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and C Sharp. A fifth, if you really want to consider it in my display library in JavaScript, is Vue.js. And so... I'm doing quite well with those, but I constantly need to look at reference documentation and things like that. And very often outside of the standard reference documentation, not just like stack overflow, but blog posts and, and tutorials and things like that for dealing with weird pieces of technology. And I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this from a plane yeah. There's, there's just no way. Even with in-flight Wi-Fi, it would just be horribly obnoxious. And I ended up finding a really good way to get productive work done during those flights. We're talking about 12 hours of plane time Oof. over the course of about a week. Um, maybe 16 or 18 hours of airport time. And, uh, so that I came with from this kind of built a rule and the rule says, when in doubt, comment and organize your code because I'll write comments as I'm writing code and things like that. But it, it's never quite as good as I want it to be. It's never as complete as I'd like to have it when I'm coming back to the code six months later. Mm-hmm. But this offline period just gave me the opportunity to sit down with a big text file of code and document it within an inch of its life. Just just nice big four, five, six line comments at the beginning of each function. And really clear stuff. Now that it's all written and all good, really clear lines of like these are the sections of the code and adding or removing extraneous white space. And oh, here's some stuff that I commented out. Yes, that really should go away. Let's kill that off. And really ending up with just really clean, well-documented code. And it was extremely productive. Yeah. Just just having just sitting down with a bin of 30 to 40 text files. And just one at a time, bring up the file, move some functions around, add in the pragma marks and things like that to make it easier to navigate through and find sections and collapse chunks and, and just making beautiful stuff. Nice. <laughs> and it felt really productive, even though I wasn't technically advancing the status of the project well, you were the definitely, state of the project was definitely advanced.
0: Well, you were also clarifying your understanding of
1: the thing as well. Oh, yeah.
0: That's probably the most valuable part of an exercise like that is that you understand what you're working with much more clearly.
1: There are also a ton of to-do comments that got mm-hmm. added. <clears throat> yeah. Good, clear. Hey, I need to adjust for this. I need to add some unit tests for this. You know, that kind of stuff is all... All there now.
0: Somebody on Twitter, maybe about six months ago, said just kind of a you know, funny slash snarky tweet of like, to-do comments are the worst. Nobody ever actually does what they say they do. And I'm like, am I doing this wrong? Because I always use them that way. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't stop working to the day, at the end of the day, until all my to-dos have been done. I don't oh. use them as, as like permanent
1: markers. Oh, I, I don't know that I can always resolve all my to-dos by the end of the day. Yeah, it would,
0: they're not necessarily resolved. It's, if the to-do is in the code, I'm doing it by the end of the day. If it's still there at the end of the day, then I actually make a task for it in whatever task system or documentation I'm working from. But okay. I don't leave, leave that stuff sprinkled around the code.
1: Oh, gotcha. I see. Yeah, so you keep all your to-dos in your central management system.
0: Which is mostly just a text file most of the time. Yeah, I like it. What are you doing this week? What are you working on in terms of your project?
1: Um, I need to do that sixty lines of code. yeah, it's the last little sliver of display stuff, and then I'll transition back for at least a little while to working on the back end because now I'll have better tools for assessing how well my diff code is working mm-hmm. um. And then after that, it's back to making the UI better, Um, better display. Like right now, at the end of those 60 lines of code, my result will be showing two small granular chunks of XML side by side, which is extremely helpful for me, but not for my customers. (laughs) Yeah, That needs to be further reduced to these are the four things that have changed between this version and this version. When you're looking at this field. Um, and yeah, there's some fun technical stuff in there, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. So
0: I'm interested to see what kind of UI you come up with for this app. You know, what would be a good idea to not do? What's that? The P list editor in Xcode. <laughs> Don't um, do that.
1: Yeah, no. Now, the more I work with P lists, the more I work with P lists in source.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, what are you working on this week, Joe?
0: uh so pretty much just the prototype in the filemaker version of the prototype. I want to get a full working version with actual data in tables, with all the fields I need. Um, do some of the calculations for some of the computed values do a reasonably good approximation of a basically the light view version of an iOS app when mm-hmm. you're going to worry about the dark mode stuff in FileMaker and uh, just get that working and running on device. It'll probably just be on my dev server and just use it on the iPhone. The I'm not sure about the iPad where that falls into this project. It's This project is very much a list-based thing mm-hmm. and... So it doesn't need a complex interface on iPad, like a three column interface or anything like that. It's very much like the list is front and center and the list objects are just kind of attributes of that larger UI. So I don't know if I'll resolve that this week. or like, am I even gonna worry about the iPad version right off the bat? Or do I wanna try to do more of a custom thing later? But for this week I'm really focusing on the iPhone stuff. And then more web development, more WordPress work, and sales. Sales, sales, sales. Got to make some money. And
1: uh, and this is selling predominantly FileMaker with a little bit of web stuff. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fun. It's, it's a weird kind of sales. I'm I never thought I would be a good salesman. And it turns out that I am a pretty good salesman. Mm-hmm. But I'm... I'm in a particular weird point in my career where I have to try not to sell too much. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, I don't want to take on new customers. So I'm trying to sell to my existing customers <laughs> or working with some partner companies to sell to their customers, um, but without a, a ton of like new long term relationships. Because yeah the eventual plan is to replace a lot of my income with some income from this app and some other apps I want to work on and maybe even some VR projects or AR projects eventually. But uh, that's going to take a long time to snowball up into a reasonable income if it ever does. But so, yeah, I'm definitely in this weird phase of like, it would be really easy to sell a couple of really good big systems to work on, but that would be Mm full-time work And I wouldn't be able to touch Xcode for months. Yeah. So I need to be finding, it's it's kind of weird, like everything about my business has been about serving the high end of the market and finding high end customers who pay premium prices for really top tier development. And now I'm at this point of like, I need to find the bottom of the market, I guess. Like who has a little bit of money and doesn't care that much about what they get? Anybody? (laughs) it's not that I'm like want to shovel stuff out, but I just don't want to get sucked into a six month project at this point.
1: Yeah. I vividly remember a couple of times from my consulting career, successfully closing like a hundred thousand dollar project sales process. Like they signed on the dotted line. We got this. We got the initial check. Awesome. And then the realization sets in. Oh, crap.
0: Yeah. One of these days I should really sit down and, and do some hard thinking about just hiring a junior developer or two because I am, not to pat myself on the back too much, but I am a really good consultant and custom developer. I just don't want to do the work. I want to do the problem-solving mm-hmm. and the sales aspect of it and you know, kind of the project management role, but I don't want my hand on a mouse for nine hours a day messing up my arm if I don't have to. So yeah, I should really think about that someday.
1: Well, and, and there's, there's easy pathways into that with subcontractors and mm-hmm. things like that. You, you know, you get them as many hours as you can and eventually they're full. And then you say, Hey, how about you get hired and we get you some bennies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but that's, that's
1: a the, that's a fascinating change from Joe of five years ago. I
0: mean, that's not necessarily what I want to do. That's more of mm-hmm. a contingency plan for if this other stuff doesn't work out. So, if I have a successful consulting company in a couple of years ago, I will consider that a type of failure.
1: <laughs> it's failing up. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So go, oh,
0: I made another <laughs> consulting company. Yeah.
1: Now I have a company. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's good for this week. Good for our first episode.
1: Certainly.